If you're a Christian today, you did not save yourself, and that humbles us before a holy God. There is nothing about us by which we could be saved. We were hopelessly lost. Dead people can do nothing to earn salvation. And before coming to Christ, you are spiritually dead. Christians have, however, a great Redeemer who has made us alive with Him. And that's our subject of celebration today on The Truth Pulpit with Don Green, founding pastor of Truth Community Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Hello, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Don continues our series in the book of Titus titled God's Glorious Plan of Grace. And Don, the smile on your face indicates you're thrilled by the material you're covering today. You see that, do you, Bill? I'm so glad that you're with us today on the Truth Pulpit, my friend, because we're going to have an opportunity to just focus on Christ once again and to realize that in Christ we have a substitute who paid the price for our sin. In Christ, we have a Redeemer who has set us free from sin, and in Christ, we have a gracious Master that we can serve with all of our lives. This is really foundational to true Christian living. Stay with us as we study together on The Truth Pulpit. Thanks, Don. Friend, have your Bible open to Titus 2, verses 14 through 15, as we join our teacher now in The Truth Pulpit. From a human perspective, Salvation is completely impossible. There is no way that you or I can save our own souls. We have sinned. We have broken the law of God. We have brought guilt and condemnation down upon our heads. Any meaningful look at the law of God would expose your sin to you. There is no such thing as a good person. There is no person that is not told a lie. There is no person that has not somehow looked askance with his eyes. There is no person that has loved the Lord our God with all of his heart, soul, strength, and mind for every moment of every waking day and giving God the glory and the honor and the thanks that he deserves. As we come to the Word of God, as we read it seriously and earnestly, we see that we have fallen so far short that our souls are utterly irredeemable. And the effort to try to earn God's favor back with the things that we do with religious activities or being good to our fellow man only digs us in a deeper hole. Because as you do that, beloved, as a, as a man or as a woman or as a child seeks to develop favor with God by the works of their own hands, they're only making matters worse. They're only compounding their sin with those efforts because they are rejecting the one true way of salvation that God has declared, that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved than the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to say that, to approach God as though you could make yourself good enough for him is a total statement of indescribable pride and is a total failure to recognize God for the great holiness that is intrinsically His. And so we are just really, really lost and shattered before a holy God. And the sad thing about it is, is that most people don't even realize how desperate the situation is. If you're a Christian today, you did not save yourself. And that humbles us before a holy God. We come as beggars before the table of grace, Scripture says that 
that blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Uh, Beloved, it is only those that have thoroughly, knowingly, gladly declared their own spiritual bankruptcy that are in a position to receive Christ and to enter into eternal life. There is nothing about us by which we could be saved. We were hopelessly lost. Now, Scripture describes that lostness with a number of different metaphors. It describes us as being dead in sin, for one, and that's a familiar one. But the Bible also describes us in this term. Jesus said in John 8, 34, that everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The Bible teaches that the sin that overcomes us enslaves us. That's from 2 Peter chapter 2. We're slaves in our natural condition. We are slaves to sin. Sin owns you if you're not a Christian. Slaves have no freedom. They do what their master tells them to do. They don't have the capacity to get out from under that bondage. And so as the Bible describes us as slaves of sin in our unsaved condition, it is telling us that there is a power that is greater than us, that owns us, and that we do not have the capacity to escape. That imagery of slavery is a description of the total inability of man to accomplish spiritual good, to do anything to save his own soul. It is a statement of the hopelessness of the human condition, a slave to sin. Now, if you're not a Christian here this morning, and some of you are not, understand what that means for you as you look in the mirror morning by morning. What the Bible is saying is that sin, the principle of sin, owns you. You are a slave to a power greater than yourself, and you don't have the ability to break the chains that bind you. The picture of the unsaved man is bleak. Sin owns him. Death awaits him. He cannot save himself. Eternal judgment will destroy him. And when you think about particular manifestations of sin in the unsaved person, the truth of the matter is is that the, the unsaved man loves his darkness. He would not have Christ deliver him. As he is in chains to his sin, he kisses the chains that bind him. He kisses the chains that enslave him. Oh, what a miserable, desperate condition the human race is in. Collectively and individually, The scriptures teach the slavery of man to sin. We were all in that position. Today's passage shows us how we were delivered. Look at Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. We'll pick it up in verse 11, but we're going to focus on the last two verses of 11 through 15. It's evident in light of what Scripture says about our enslavement to to sin, that we could not save ourselves. That if we were going to be delivered, someone else had to come and break the chains and set us free. No one can boast, the Scripture says. God forbid that I should boast in my salvation, except in our Lord Jesus Christ. This passage shows us why that must be the case. 
Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So the focus here in what we're about to see is our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, who? And so verse 14 is describing Christ and describing what he did. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This passage answers the question that should be preeminent on the mind of every unsaved man and should be the reflection of every one of us that are truly in Christ. How is it that Christ delivered us from our spiritual slavery? How is it that an unsaved man can find deliverance from his miserable condition? How does that happen? What is the provision for that? If it can't come from what we do, if it can't come even from our own tears of sorrow over our wrongdoing, how is it that we find deliverance from our spiritual slavery? Well, this verse tells us, and it's all about the person of Christ. It's all about something that he did. And before we get into the details of the passage in front of us, I want you to, as, you, as we've looked back and paused for a moment to remember the, the, our spiritual bondage, I want you to realize that someone with power, with authority, and with grace, as verse 11 says, someone with power, authority, and grace intervened on your behalf when you had no claim on him to do so. We don't trivialize Christ. We don't take it lightly. We don't take our Savior lightly because of the magnitude of what he did. What was it that he did? Point number one here this morning. I'm going to give you three aspects of the way that Christ delivered us from our spiritual slavery. And every one of them we should receive with tender, sensitive, grateful hearts. Point number one, our Lord Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior from verse 13. What did this great God and Savior do? Point number one, he took our place. He took our place. He took your place if you're a Christian. As slaves, we could not free ourselves out of grace, this passage says to us. Out of grace upon our condition, Jesus Christ intervened and did what you could not do for yourself. Look at verse 14. What did he do? Precious words. Verse 14. He gave himself for us. He gave himself for us. The simplicity of those words tell us the magnitude of how Christ has intervened on our behalf. 
the eternal Son of God, God's agent in creation, the one who existed before time began, the one who shared the full glory of God with the Father and with the Spirit, that God, that Son, that One came down to earth left the throne of His glory and came down to earth and entered into humanity for the express purpose of giving Himself for us. Do you see the magnitude of that? Do you see the eternal halls of of majesty that, that we bow before when we think about the glory of what Christ has done for us? He gave Himself for us. This great one in heaven stepped into humanity, not to declare, as it were, not to declare his his glory so much. Although he displayed the glory of God in what he did, he came with the purpose of giving himself for us. The master of righteousness came to give himself on behalf of the slaves of sin. What kind of friend is that? What kind of great God and Savior is that? The greatness of of this Savior is unspeakable. The glory of Christ in this self-giving of Himself cannot be measured. He not only left heaven, He left to become a man. And He not only became a man, He went to the cross and He paid for the price of your salvation. He paid the price of your salvation with His own innocent blood. He gave Himself over to that. He gave Himself over to be despised and rejected by men in order to fulfill the purpose of His Father. In love for those who would become His own, He laid down His life for us. Beloved, if that doesn't humble your heart, if that doesn't cause you to well up with gratitude and sink down in humility, I really worry about the condition of your soul. Christ did this for us. Look at the verse with me again. He gave himself. That would be magnificent enough. I mean, by all rights, he could have stayed in heaven. But he gave himself. And then get this. Get the level of the condescension of this. Get the measure of grace in this that he gave himself for us. He took our place. Christ stood in the place of sinners and took the punishment of death for everyone who would ever believe in him. Turn back to the book of Isaiah 53. I want to show you a couple of familiar passages just to keep these things in rightly in your mind. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 4. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Prophetically looking forward to Christ, it says, Surely our griefs He Himself bore, And our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through 
for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Christ wasn't suffering for his own sins on the cross. Everyone that was present at the time, Pilate, those around him, the thief on the cross, all declared he was innocent. This man has done no wrong. Why then is he suffering the death of a common criminal for us on our behalf as our substitute, as the one who stood in our place, giving himself over for us? Scripture teaches us that that our sins were placed on Him and that when He died, God was punishing Christ for things that He had not done. Instead, He was punishing Christ for things that you had done. Let that sink into your mind, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. Let that sink into your mind. Our great God and Savior the eternal, sinless Son of God, entering into the punishment that should have gone on to your head for your volitional, intentional sins against God, for your, the sins that you committed in ignorance, for the things that you did in blindness, all of it, all of it worthy of judgment. And this one friend who took your place As it were, he said, Father, I will substitute my life for theirs. I want to give myself in obedience to you. I want to give my life so that you would punish me in my righteousness so that they in their sins would not be punished. He gave himself for us as our substitute in our place. He suffered the penalty that by all rights should have fallen on our heads. And as Christians, for me, for you, we can rightly say, He did that for me. He did that for me. He did that for us, for for those who will believe in him. But I'm one of those. He did that for me. He did that by name. He knew me before time began. He knew he came with earth for the intention to be my substitute, to stand in my place, to take the stroke that should have been on my neck. He took it on his own for me. He gave himself to that. Look over at 1 Peter 3.18 where you see, you see it expressed from a New Testament perspective. 1 Peter, just after the book of Hebrews, 1 Peter 3.18, Christ took our place. He was our substitute. He was paying for our sins so that we did not have to. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also died for sins once for all the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Separated from God, 
Isaiah 59 verse 2 says that your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Christ bridged that gap by laying himself down and saying, Father, I'll take their punishment. Please set them free. And as we study elsewhere in Scripture, our sins were placed on Christ and his righteousness was credited to our account. It's not just that in Christ we're declared not guilty. In this magnitude of him giving himself for us, his righteousness is placed to our account so that we can rightly say that God has declared us righteous. He hasn't simply wiped away sin. He has given full righteousness to our account so that we stand legally perfect before God because of the perfect righteousness of Christ. Look. Look. You can't buy that with religious deeds. You can't buy that with money. You can't buy that with the tears of a sorrowful soul. This is a gift from God that we completely did not deserve. He took our place and gave himself for us. For those of you that still are not Christians, as you hear these things, let me say to you this. Understand that that through the preaching of God's word this morning, Christ is calling you to come to him and partake of the benefits of this great self-sacrifice that he's made. He calls you by name and says, come to me, come to me, come and, and, and repent of your sins and receive me. I want to bestow this gift of salvation upon you. I want to share this with you, that which I've given to so many others in this room. Please, I beg you, receive him. I don't know if I'm going to have a chance to say this to you again. I'm not planning to leave. Don't get me wrong. Don't panic over something like that. But we don't know what tomorrow holds. This might be the last time that I get to say it to you. It might be the last time that you get to hear it. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. The urgency of this must come to bear upon your heart. And I pray by the Spirit of God that it would, that He would shatter the darkness of your mind, shatter the rebellion of your will, and that you would come to Christ. Christ calls you. And I beg you as His ambassador to come to Him today. You're a slave to sin. Only Christ can break those chains. Why would you turn away from a Savior like this? Why would you continue to reject Him? There is no excuse for someone to turn away from the Gospel. It can only be explained by your own unbelief and your own stubbornness. Oh, God, pierce their hearts. Oh, God, do it now. That they might come to this great Christ who gave himself for us. For those of us that are Christians, 
should have a smile on the inside of our heart anyway, if not one on our face. Christ paid the penalty of sin on our behalf. He gave himself for us. We are free from the threat of eternal punishment. And we are freed from the dominating power of sin because he took our place. Christ has fulfilled the law for us. He was our substitute, perfect, gladly, willingly giving himself for us. He took our place. That's how we find ourselves free from sin. That's how we were delivered from the bondage of sin. He gave himself for us. Well, we'll have to pause right there for today. But Pastor Don Green will have part two of his message, Our Great Redeemer, next time on The Truth Pulpit. So plan now to join us. Right now, Don's back here in studio with some closing words. Hi, friend. As we close today, I just want to make something uh, available to you. You know, as you listen to these radio broadcasts, they have to fit into a 25-minute format. And we're very grateful for the opportunity the Lord's given us to do just that. But the radio messages are born out of a longer sermon message that contains more information, more background, a fuller explanation of the passage than what we're able to do on radio. So I encourage you to go to our website and find the link that says, Follow Don's Pulpit. That'll lead you to a podcast that gives you the full-length sermons from every Sunday and every Tuesday from my pulpit. I really think that it'll minister to you over time to hear the full-length messages. So we make that available for free, and we would love you to join us in that way as well. Just visit us at thetruthpulpit.com. Again, that's thetruthpulpit.com. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time on The Truth Pulpit with Don Green. Don Green.